Now I see if I get a little hungry halfway through the sermon, I'm well supplied up here, so I should be all right. It is a great day. It is uh, always a good day to be together worshiping with God's people. And we have experienced the Holy Spirit's presence here both in us and with us as we've worshiped the Lord together. And so we want to continue in our series this morning on keeping in step with the Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is at work in the church body. He's at work within our lives, and he wants us to be at work uh, with him and for him in the world around us. So would you bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that you are the perfect Father, that as your word says, earthly fathers even know how to give good gifts to their children. So how much more don't you, our Heavenly Father, our perfect Father, know how to give good gifts to those who ask? And how much more aren't you ready to pour out your Holy Spirit on those who ask? And so Holy Spirit, today we thank you that it is you who has come to dwell within us, and that it is by you the Lord Jesus lives in our hearts by faith. It is by you that we have the power to live a life of obedience in following you. And it is also by you that we are gifted to serve you in unique ways, all of them to serve your purposes and all of them to build up your body, the church. And so, Lord, this morning, as we consider again your work of the Holy Spirit within our lives and within the life of this church, we pray that you would give us understanding. I pray more than that, Lord, that you would stir our hearts to obedience and that we would engage with this high call that you have given to each one of us to serve you with gladness. So bless your word this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin this morning with a story of a man who had just endured three hours of the long line and surly clerks and insane regulations of his local department of motor vehicles, better known as the DMV. Of course, this would be something in the States to the South. Now, there in the DMV, to make matters worse, he was, as he's waiting in line, realizing that it was his son's birthday and that he had promised his wife that he would pick up a gift for their son on his way home. But now he is running late, dealing with surly clerks. Nothing is going well. Finally, the thoroughly frazzled man, in a great hurry on his way home, gets through the DMV. He rushes into the local toy store, grabs the nearest baseball bat, rushes back to the checkout, and plunks it down on the counter. Cash or credit? The cashier asked politely. Cash! The man snapped back in reply. The expression on the poor clerk's face suddenly made him realize just how rudely he was behaving in his hurry and how grumpy he was because of his long wait in the DMV. And so quickly, he apologizes and he explains himself. I'm so sorry, I've just spent the entire afternoon dealing with those weasels down at the DMV. Now I'm late for my son's birthday party. At this explanation, the cashier paused for a moment, and then in her sweetest tone of voice replied, Shall I gift wrap this bat for your son, or are you planning on going back to the DMV? (laughs) Now... I'm quite sure that most fathers present here today can sympathize with that man's plight in one way or another. You work hard to make a living. You try hard to make the time necessary to be there for your family as well. 
But in between work and family, there always seems to be 101 other things that are getting in there as well. 101 other things that are competing for your time and attention. Lines and phone calls and business deals and everything, the grind of life that gets in in the way. There are times where it seems like your life is uh, like a runaway horse. And not only have you been thrown from the saddle, but you're barely holding on to the tail. And in the midst of those sorts of circumstances, even there, even this father, still has a gift to give. He still has a gift to give. He has a choice, an opportunity. He could choose to be selfish with that gift. He could choose to misuse it. He could choose to neglect it. Or he could choose to be selfless. He could choose to use that gift the way it was intended. He could give that gift and bless his son. And now, though this is Father's Day, this lesson applies to each and every one of us. We all have a gift to give. We all have a gift to give. You have a gift. I have a gift. But as a father myself, I realize that to simply tell someone, give more, serve more, serve the church more, to say that can actually be quite dangerous. Because trying to do more out of the strength of our own flesh could mean losing that tenuous hold you've got on the horse's tail altogether and end up in the dirt permanently. But thankfully, God did not call us nor design us to simply run ourselves ragged in giving ourselves in service to him and others. No, that is not what he has called us to. Instead, he has called us to serve him out of the power and the ability that he provides that he would give to each one of us. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 says this, If anyone ministers, let him do it out of the ability which God supplies. Notice it doesn't say if anyone ministers, let him do it to the best of his ability. No, that would be human wisdom, and we would say that all the time. If you're going to do something, do it to the best of your ability. But whose ability are you relying on? Yours. That is not how it is to be for us as Christians. It says, if anyone ministers, let him do it out of the ability God supplies. You see, service is not to be done out of your skill or ability, but out of the ability and the power that God supplies you with. So though today I am going to call all of us to give ourselves in greater service to the Lord and others, make very clear that I am not calling you to operate more out of your flesh. I'm not calling you to grit your teeth and just try harder out of your own skill. No, what I'm calling us to, what the Lord is calling us to, is to operate more in step with His Holy Spirit who is within us. The Holy Spirit, as we've looked in the previous weeks, is God's gift to us. The Holy Spirit is God's presence indwelling us, and it is by His Spirit that the Lord Jesus lives in our hearts. It is by Him that that we are sealed, saved, and sanctified. He does it all. He is God's gift to us. But now, once the Holy Spirit is in us, He then gives us gifts, unique abilities, to now give in return. The Lord gives, and then He gives us more gifts that we can give. You see, we are to be like God. God delights in giving gifts, and so he gives us an ample supply of gifts to give in return to others. You see, our limited flesh grows so tired, so weary, so burnt out so easily, 
I've experienced this way too many times. I know what I'm talking about. I get tired. But in the Spirit, there is an unlimited supply of energy, an unlimited supply of vitality and enthusiasm to continue to keep giving ourselves to the Lord and in service to others. We have to tap into this supply. Now, if you've been paying attention in the first three parts of the series, of course, this isn't anything new. I'm repeating myself. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit within us is the one who supplies us with, first, the desire, and then, second, the power to serve God. You see, if you have no desire to serve God, well, then that's a problem. If if you don't desire it, well, then you're not going to do it. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who stirs up that desire. We want to serve God, but that's not enough. He then gives us the power to do it as well. Now, let me just be clear. Let me just hit the pause button for a moment. If you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, as your Lord, if you have not yet asked him to forgive you of your sins, save your soul, then the only thing that the Holy Spirit is going to be speaking to your heart today is one thing. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. That is all the Holy Spirit is really saying to anyone who has not yet placed faith in Jesus Christ. He is pointing a a spotlight at Jesus Christ saying, trust him, believe him. He has died on the cross for your sins in your place. That is all the Holy Spirit is pointing out to you today. However, for those of you who are here today who have already done that, then the Holy Spirit is now living within your spirit to guide you from within, to speak to your very thoughts. One of the most exciting aspects of the Spirit is that he uniquely equips each follower of Jesus Christ with at least one spiritual gift for them to use in service to God. So my aim this morning is to give you a greater understanding of what first spiritual gifts are, second, what they are to be used for, and third, how to identify the ways that the Holy Spirit has uniquely gifted each one of you. So I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the passage we read earlier. As you're turning there, I'll just say that the whole topic of spiritual gifts has been a battleground within the church for many years. One of the the principal divides between many of the denominations, in fact, has to do with the understanding and application of spiritual gifts. This isn't anything new for our age. This goes all the way back to the Church of Corinth. This tension can result from an overemphasis on certain gifts, or we compare whose gifts are better or who has more. We tend to like those who are more like us, and so we often group ourselves according to giftings. Those with the more out-there gifts, well, they'll say, you go to the, the Pentecostal church, you know. We like doctrine and prophecy. We're going to stay in the conservative Mennonite church. And we, we divide ourselves up according to gifts. But the Lord has no room for that. In fact, he speaks against that over and over again in his word, that we need all of the gifts working together in unity to build up the body. Now, the Corinthian church, if you've studied the church of Corinth at all, you know that it was far from perfect. They had so, so many issues, so many problems. The church was filled with divisions, there were arguments, there were lawsuits going on between members. Like imagine we're gathered here on Sunday morning and someone over here and someone over there is actually going to court on Monday to divide issues or to settle issues. That was happening 
within the church in Corinth. On top of that, there was immorality of all types and stripes. There were things happening in the church in Corinth that Paul says, not even the pagans are doing that, and you are. This has got to change. On top of that, there was confusion about marriage, food sacrifice to idols, forms of worship, the Lord's Supper, the resurrection, giving, and of course, spiritual gifts. In particular, some people within the church at Corinth thought that they were more important than the others because they had some pretty spectacular spiritual gifts. When Paul wrote this letter to the church, he specifically addressed these issues. And chapter 12 gives us six directives to help us determine what spiritual gifts are, what they're intended to be used for. Now, the first thing I want to draw up for your attention today is we are called to not be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Verse 1, Paul writes this. Now, about spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be ignorant. Now, let's pause right there for a moment. Notice that Paul was tactfully telling the Corinthians that they were, in fact, ignorant. (laughs) When you say to someone, don't be ignorant about this, brothers, you're actually implying very straightforward way, you don't know anything. Now I'm going to teach you a thing or two. It's more or less what Paul's getting at. So let's join with the Corinthians for a moment. Let's sit at the feet of the teacher to have our ignorance removed by the truth of God's word. So the first question I want to answer is what is a spiritual gift? What is it? Bruce Bugby, founder and president of Network Ministries, gives this excellent definition. He says, spiritual gifts are divine abilities distributed by the Holy Spirit to every believer according to God's design, and in grace for the common good of the body of Christ. So, these are given by God for specific purposes, and the aim being to build up the body. Also, take note, there is a difference between spiritual gifts and natural abilities. A spiritual gift is given by the Holy Spirit, whereas a natural talent is something we're born with or develop over time. Now, while we must also yield our natural talents and abilities to the Lord's work, we must pay particular attention to unleashing our spiritual gifts for the good of the body. And the ironic thing is that sometimes our spiritual gifts can come in an area that we are naturally weak in. Do you know that? That an area that in your flesh you would say, that's the last thing I could ever do, that is where God chooses to gift you. And why would he do that? Well, often I believe it's because he wants us to depend solely on his ability. If we come in the pride of our own flesh saying, well, I'm pretty good at that already, Uh, you know, God maybe can bump up my ability just a little notch here, well, then we're operating out of a false motive or a wrong attitude. He wants us to depend on him. And so he often gives us abilities or gifts in areas that we wouldn't naturally be drawn to. And so we have to humble ourselves to say, Lord, is this something you're calling me to? And if so, help me to obey, the desire to obey, and then the ability will follow. Secondly, who all receives a spiritual gift? I've already answered this question, but I'm going to make it very plain. Now, it's easy to believe that pastors or missionaries or people in public acts of service to the Lord and to his kingdom, it's easy to believe that they receive spiritual gifts, of course. But some of you might be here this morning or listening to this, and some of you might not actually believe that you are gifted or that the Holy Spirit has given you any sort of special ability. You know, you can look up at the platform, you can listen to me preach and say, yeah, he's got gifts, but not me. I've got nothing to offer. 
But I want you to hear again verse 7, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which really amplifies this. It says this, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. It doesn't get any more plain or straightforward than that. Each of us means each of us. That means no one's exempt. We've all received at least one divine ability to build up the church, the body of Christ. We each have a gift to give. Each of us. So no matter how ungifted or average you might feel, if you are a follower of Christ and you have been given this, and he wants you to now discover, develop, and deliver in service to him and to his church, no matter how badly you would rather just sit on the sidelines and watch those who you think are gifted do all of the work, no, you have something to contribute. You have a gift to give. The third question, what are the various gifts? Now, if you were to add up all of the gifts from the various references in 1 Corinthians, in, uh, in Romans, and elsewhere, if you were to add them all up, we would come up with around 20 specific gifts that are listed in Scripture. And while there are many ways to categorize the gifts of the Spirit, I like the one suggested by Chuck Swindoll. He sees three gift groupings, three categories. The first category is the speaking gifts. These are words of wisdom, prophecy, evangelism, pastor-teacher role, and, of course, specifically teaching. Those are the speaking gifts. The second category are the service gifts. These are gifts of administration, encouragement, faith, giving, help, service, hospitality, and mercy. And then the third category are the sign gifts. These are discernment of spirits, acts of, of power such as miracles, healing, speaking in tongues, and interpretation. And as we study this topic of spiritual gifts, it's important to keep in mind that we're commanded to do much of the things that are lifted, pardon me, listed as spiritual gifts. So for instance, while some people have the gift of giving, does that mean those of us who don't are off the hook? So when we pass the offering plate, only the the ones gifted with giving have to put anything in it, and the rest of us say, good job. Does that mean we're off the hook? Anyone? No, we're not off the hook. We're all called to give. Some are given an extra gifting to give in this area, to give radically and and just over and above, and and God gives them the faith to do so. And so some are, are given an extra measure of it, but we're not all off the hook to not give. Likewise, we aren't excused from a responsibility to witness just because we might not have been given the gift of evangelism. We are all called to make disciples. And for some, that will be preaching from the pulpit. And for others, that will simply be inviting friends to hear the preaching from the pulpit. And for everyone, that will be living a consistent witness in such a way as to make Jesus attractive to those who don't know him. Some are especially gifted for specific areas, but all must do their part. In regards to the sign gifts, there were evidently some in the church of Corinth who were using speaking in tongues or prophecy as a means of showing off how spiritual they were. However, this was causing a disruption in the services, which is why Paul gives the corrective in chapter 14 and verses 26 to 28. Listen to what he says. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at the most three should speak, 
one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Now, I want you to notice that the point of all gifts is so that the church may be built up. It's not for selfish purposes. It's not to say, look at me, look how spiritual I am, look how in tune with God I am. No, that's not the motive. It's not about us. It's about him. It's about his church. So if, if it is not building up the church or it's causing a disturbance, Paul says, stay quiet. Commune in your spirit with the Lord, but don't disrupt the service. But lest this instruction become a prohibition against sign gifts being used, Paul concludes in verse 39, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid the speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in an orderly and fitting way. Now, there are some today who argue that the sign gifts are no longer necessary for today. But to that I would counter that there is no definitive word given in Scripture that says this is the case. In my study of Scripture, verse 39 where Paul states, Do not forbid the speaking in tongues, still applies to us. I believe that all of the gifts to his church are to be used in the proper way for the good of others and the glory of God. Too often it has been the excesses of these gifts when taken to extremes that have caused us who are more conservative to write them off altogether, which is the exact thing that Paul cautioned against. There are still times and places where God desires to put his power on display for specific reasons. Often the sign gifts are most obvious in the mission field, where direct displays of God's power through healings, or the casting out of demons, or even times where missionaries have been in places where they didn't have a clue what the language was, and they began to speak in tongues, and the people could understand them just as they did on the day of Pentecost. And so I believe there are specific times and places these miraculous powers of God are still used for the furthering of his kingdom, the establishing of the church. But this isn't just for the mission field either. God's miraculous power is also available to us as well. But we too must exercise our faith to believe God for it. I could share with you numerous stories of where I've seen or experienced God's supernatural power at work, whether that's been at Bible camp, in youth group, in the hospital, in individuals' lives. I have seen it, my friends. God's power is real. But suffice to say this morning that the gifts of the Spirit have not been limited by God. Whatever limitations that are imposed are from man's lack of understanding or man's lack of faith. It is not from God's lack of ability to supply. God is able, my friends. God is able. The limitations come from us. The Corinthians had elevated the more spectacular gifts and were giving more attention to those spiritual superstars. And Paul challenges them on this. And even goes so far as to say, I thank God that I can speak in tongues more than any of you. But I'm not going to talk about that. I would rather prophesy, edify the entire body, and, and go do that at home by myself. That's basically a paraphrase of what Paul says to them. He says it's all about him and building up the body. Paul also challenges them to incorporate diversity in their understanding. To understand that everyone ministers differently because each has been gifted differently. But it is still the same God at work within each one of us. Many gifts, but one spirit. And he customizes his work through us for his ultimate glory and for the strengthening of the church. 
You know, there's so many stories about how, and, and different humorous jokes about how we, we love to categorize ourselves. And there's that old one about the man who comes to the pearly gates and Peter's waiting for him and he, he ushers him in towards his, his mansion in glory. And he says, but be very quiet as we go by this mansion. Well, why is that, the man asks. To which Peter replies, fill in the blank, those are the Mennonites. They think they're the only ones here. Don't worry, we could put in Baptist or Pentecostal or whatever denomination we'd like in there. The point being, we love to think that we're, we're the ones who really have it all right. But God says, my kingdom is diverse, and I, one spirit, have given a diversity of gifts, a diversity in worship and expressions and abilities. And so let's not focus so much on the one or two or three gifts that we really like to the exclusion of the others. We are to understand them all properly. This is how we dispel the ignorance. We work together with different gifts to build up one church. Let me illustrate how this could work. Say at a church potluck, you're going through the line, and just ahead of you, someone drops a plateful of dessert. Down it goes, it hits the carpet, it's rolling all over the place, it's splattered. This is how the different gifts might respond to the situation. Someone with the gift of prophecy might say, that's what happens when you're not careful. You need to give more careful consideration to where you are going. Someone with the gift of teaching might say, the reason it fell was because it was imbalanced and too heavy on one side. Someone with the gift of encouragement might say, don't worry, you'll do better next time. Someone with the gift of giving might say, here, you can have my dessert." Someone with the gift of mercy might say, don't feel bad, it was an accident and could have happened to anyone. Someone with the gift of administration might say, Peter, would you get the vacuum? Susie, could you keep the kids from running through the mess? Jackie, could you get them another dessert? And last, but certainly not least, someone with the gift of service, without speaking a word, will simply bend over, clean up the mess, and walk away. Which of these gifts is the most important? To this, Paul would reply emphatically, Don't compare. Don't do it. All are equally important to the health of the church body. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all of its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. And he then launches into a lengthy example of how just as the the hand, the eye, the ear, the, the foot are all necessary to the function of the human body, so too is each person using each gift important to the function of the church body. We've all been gifted differently, and so we all act differently, and so we serve differently. Can I play the organ? Well, if you wanted to listen to me try, stick around after the service. <laughs> No, I can't play the organ, but some of you play the organ beautifully. Can you preach? I'm looking for volunteers. Now's your chance. Can you preach? No, maybe not. Maybe that's not your thing, but I can preach. And the Lord has gifted me in this area. Can you give? Yes, you can give. Maybe some of you giving is hard. The Lord is asking you to exercise faith. Can you sing? Some of you sing beautifully. Others of you would say, I'll sing at home in the shower. But they're all important to the whole. Some of you are 
are so good with the gift of hospitality, having people in your home, making them feel welcome, listening to them. Some of you are wonderful encouragers, and you just sense when people are down and you just have a way of speaking one word, and they're just all of a sudden there's a smile on their face. The list is endless, and I could give countless more examples, but everyone has a gift to give in service. Friends, this church... This church has every gift that is needed in order to function as a biblical community. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7 says this, Therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Now remember, this was spoken to the dysfunctional church of Corinth, and Paul said you do not lack any gift. You're not lacking. Even with all of its problems, they did not lack. And likewise, Clarny Mennonite Church has just the right amount of spiritual gifts. This is important to keep in mind whenever we are looking to fill ministry positions as well. And how can I discover what my spiritual gifts are? Well, there's no scientific formula to this, but here are a few guidelines. The first is prayer. Simply pray and ask God, reveal to me. What areas have you gifted me in? What areas, perhaps, is a gift lying dormant that you want me to discover? Ask him. Secondly, ask for the guidance of other more mature Christians, those who you look up to in the faith. Seek their guidance. Ask them, what do you see in me? What do you discern would be abilities that I could give back to the Lord? Ask them that. Often, you will be surprised by the things they might say because they might see things in you that you would never have thought of. Listen closely to what they say. And third, uh, a handy tool, this is by no means the the definitive word, but this is a good starting point, is to use a spiritual gift assessment tool. We have an online assessment tool available for you right now on our church website. If you go there, www.clarneychurch.com, we have it right there on the front page. It's just a quick, I think it's 68 questions that sort of you you go through and you answer. It's self-explanatory. And at the end, it will highlight five different areas that you very likely could be gifted in or or are strongly interested in. And so uh, when I did this test, my top one through five came out as teaching, evangelism, leadership, pastor, shepherd, and prophecy. I wasn't shocked by any of these, but those were the five that came out. Uh, We did it with our youth group on Friday night, and many of them came out with craftsmanship, that working with their hands and service was a a big gifting uh, for many in our youth group. And so as we, as we do this, remember, don't compare. Don't envy me my gifts. Remember that my gifts are for your good. Jesus' parable of the talents teaches us that to whom more is given, more is required in return. In moments of weakness, I will tell you, I have complained to God and asked him why he saw fit to entrust me with so much. I'm like, God, can you dial it down a little bit? But his patient reply is always the same. I will never ask you to do more than what I will equip and empower you to do. That's the promise, and I have found it to be true. And therein lies the crux of the matter. The Holy Spirit equips, but we must be willing to obey and engage. So whenever a core ministry of the church has a position unfilled, it is not because the Spirit has not given us a congregation with the necessary gifts. It is always because people are either unclear as to what their gifts are and afraid to try, or because they are simply unwilling to engage. And this is why God is always looking for those who are willing, not those who are most qualified. 
There's an old saying, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And so when you see a ministry opportunity and the Spirit whispers, give it a try, what will your response be? William Borden was heir to the Borden family fortune. And while attending an Ivy League university for the upper crust of society, he sensed God stirring within his spirit, the Holy Spirit telling him to serve him fully, holding nothing back. And in his journal, he wrote down two words, no reserve. Sometime later, after having a significant witness on that university campus, he again began to sense the spirit stirring within him, calling him to overseas foreign missions in a brand new culture and place. Again, he got out his journal and he wrote down the two words, no retreat. Tragically, on his way to the mission field, he contracted meningitis and died en route. The final words written in his journal were the two words, no regrets. This was a summary of William Borden's life and faith. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. I pray that I would be able to say those three things on my final day. I only have one life to give, one life to live. You only have one life to live, one life to give, And the Lord is asking you to give it to him with no reserve, no retreat, and no regrets. Because the only regrets we will have on that final day are the things that we said no to the Lord for. You have one life. The Lord has given you his salvation. He has given you his spirit. And he asks you now to give yourself completely, unreservedly to him. Whatever he stirs in your spirit to do, may your answer be, yes, Lord, I am your willing servant. Do with me whatever you please. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you a million times over. Thank you for your great salvation that you so freely gave to us. We haven't earned it. We haven't worked for it. We have simply through faith received it. We know now by your spirit within us, it is true. You have sealed us. You have redeemed us. You have sanctified us. But Lord, we're, we're so thankful and it's so easy for us to stay in this place knowing that we have salvation. And yet, you have now said, use that salvation. It's not just, it's not just a ticket to heaven. It is now an ability to live out a life of service for you to return the gift that you have so freely given to us and freely give it to you in return. No reserve, no retreat, no regrets. May that be the motto of each one of our lives. May we give ourselves fully to you, Father, knowing that your Holy Spirit will equip and fill us every step of the way. Thank you for the joy of knowing you. Thank you for the joy of serving you. Thank you for the joy of knowing that we can walk every day of our lives in your will and in your presence. Continue to go with us now, I ask in Jesus' name.